Hi, everybody. I'm Jen Johnson, and this is Thought by Thought Healing, where I talk about everything related to TMS and mind-body syndrome. I talk about chronic pain and chronic symptoms and why, because of current neuroscience, we really can recover from these symptoms that we used to think were irreversible. I come at this from a Christian perspective, so if that's important to you, then you're definitely in the right place, and you should subscribe. I'm a chronic pain coach, and you can read more about my story and my programs on my website, which is thoughtbythoughthealing.com. You can follow me on Instagram and on Facebook, also thoughtbythoughthealing.com. If you listen to me on podcast platforms, it would be awesome if you could leave me a review. Apparently, that's how you get the word out. So um, thanks in advance for doing that. So on this show, I have a lot of different experts that come on and I just interview them and ask them all the questions um, from psychologists to doctors um, to people who have healed or are still in their healing journey. We can learn from them all. And today I had the honor of interviewing Dr. Dan Ratner, who, if you can't tell by my change in voice, was just really um, an honor. And um, everybody has a little bit of a different perspective on because of their own journeys on what um, what the journey involves to recover from chronic pain. And um, Dr. Dan Ratner, as he said, I should call him just Dan. Um, Dan and I align a lot on, um, on what that involves. And so that was really just enjoyable. And I think it will be for you also and hopefully enlightening for how you can kind of um, gear your uh, healing journey. Dan also has groups and um, different programs that you can check out. I'm going to put all his resources in the show notes so that you can check out his website, um, specifically his three-column system. Let's see. What else do I have to say? I think that's about it. I just want to read a little bit about who Dan is, and we'll go from there. So Dr. Dan Ratner is an internationally known mind-body expert and the podcast host of Crushing Doubt, which is available on YouTube and Spotify and lays out his unique column system to organize mind-body experience and help people alleviate both chronic and acute pain and other symptoms. After his profound life-changing experience resolving his own chronic back pain, he has since become a leading expert in the field curing hundreds of pain sufferers from these scientific, with these scientific and logical methods. His eight-session seminars teach people everything they need to know about the mind-body process to put their questions to rest, and his membership groups allow ongoing cost-effective access to him on a weekly basis to work on understanding and alleviating systems. Systems. Alleviating symptoms. His long-anticipated book, also entitled Crushing Doubt, is in the editing phase and soon to be available on his website, www.crushingdoubt.org. Just a couple more things about him. Dan was raised in Shaker Heights, Ohio, in a family with a deep expertise in psychological tradition. Um, He completed his undergraduate work at Brown University. Um, He spent two years in Teach for America, In Compton, California, he went on to get his master's and doctorate in psychology from Widener University and was a staff member and training director of Fordham University. Dan now creates or created and runs a full-time private practice dating back to 2007, first in New York City and now virtually from Cleveland. So without any further ado, I give you Dan and this just really fun conversation. All right. Have a good day, you guys. Bye. 
Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm super excited today. I have none other than Dan Ratner with me from Crushing Doubt. So Dan, how are you today? I'm really doing well, and I'm excited to be here with you. Sweet. Me too. And so is everybody else. <laughs> um, okay, so I've had quite a few people on the show that have had back pain, and I know that that is a part of your story, which I do want to hear about. Um, can we start there and just hear a little bit about your journey and then mostly like how you got into mind-body medicine um, from that part of your story? Sure. I mean, they go hand in hand because I, that's the reason I got into the work. So I'll try to give the brief version. You can ask me if you want more details. I remember them all very vividly, mm -hmm. um, as I think a lot of pain sufferers do. These are traumatic experiences that people have when typically they're sailing along through life, maybe not sailing through every part of life, but sailing through their physical life without realizing that there can be something like this and then boom. And that's what happened to me. I felt a little twinge in my back when I went to tie my shoes one day and I just thought, okay, you know, I'm getting a little old, hilariously, I was 28 at the time. So old. <laughs> so old. Um, but I thought, okay, fine, I guess I'll just need to do some stretching. But there was there was one thought I had in the back of my mind, which is such a mind-body sufferer thought. And it was, what if? Yeah. What if this is going to become something bigger? I didn't think that much of it, but it did start to become something bigger. And, and then it kind of escalated more and more. And uh, very shortly after, a couple days later, I was very, very tight. Um, and the back hurt a lot. And then I started to have spasms. And I did not know what was going on. I mean, I had never seen anything like this. And uh, to make a long story short, it, it unfolded in ways where it just, it felt like it was getting worse and worse. I finally went to the doctor figuring, okay, well, doctors will know what to do about this. And then I was really shocked again. They not only didn't seem to know what to do, they seemed perfectly content with the fact that this was a problem that was going to stay. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? Then I went to a physical therapist and I found a, a similar type of thing. They didn't seem content to let it stay that way, but they seemed baffled. And I kept thinking, I can't be this weird. This is so like, what's happening here? And I really was at a loss. Uh, I was even at a loss with regard to the people in my own life, you know, my family. I didn't know what to say to them because I felt like you guys are telling me to do this and now it's not working and you're not even helping. Uh, I was mm -hmm. like, you know, so many sufferers get left on an island. That's really what happened to me. And I did not realize I was going to have to really claw my way out of there. And I tried lots of different things over time. I remember I was meeting with a colleague at work. Um, I was a therapist at uh, a college counseling center at the time. And she said that she had had back pain. And I heard that past tense. And I was like, what? What'd you do? And she said, well, I went to a chiropractor. I hadn't been to a chiropractor yet. And I was like, okay. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I would have drunk a bucket of sand to get rid of the pain. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. It was every day. Every moment, there was no break from it whatsoever. Uh, I could take Advil and that would help, though 
looking back on it, and I actually think that was a placebo help more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I didn't have any relief. I felt very alienated from people. I felt very frustrated that they didn't understand, that they weren't so empathic. I, it felt like my whole world was just turned upside down. So I went to this chiropractor. This is not turning into a long story. I apologize. But I went to, <laughs> I went to a chiropractor and I, I, I took to him very quickly because he actually wanted to get to the bottom of it. He just cared. Yeah. And he thought he thought he could help. And so I did whatever he would say. And sometimes he would tell me to do things that I was like, I don't understand why this would help, but okay. Mm-hmm. I, I changed my diet to get rid of sugar at one point. It seemed to help in a certain way, but I couldn't explain why. Uh, he, you know, adjusted my back and, uh, the spasms did not go away for a full year after the adjustments and actually it got worse during the adjustments. But I was like, at least this guy feels like he knows what he's doing. And the spasms were just agonizing. They were the worst pain I've ever experienced. And um, now I will make a long story short. <laughs> uh, I, Good luck. Yeah. I talked to, I kept talking to the chiropractor and I was like, I, I was about maybe 50% better. He had successfully gotten me to stop spasming, which was a godsend. And at one point he mentioned Dr. Sarno. Um, He said, some people uh, get something out of reading this book. Maybe you would. And I thought, wow, I've sunk really low. I'm going to read a self-help book (laughs) to get out of back pain. Well, it was obviously so much more than that. But I I bought it and it just stayed on a shelf for about 10 months. Oh, you didn't read it right away. Okay. Mm-mm, no, I just, I felt like, okay, yeah, I'll get it. And maybe one day I'll do it. But then at one point, uh, I think he either mentioned it again, or I just remembered it. And I thought, I just, I'll try anything. Why am I not reading this? Yeah. And I picked it up and it just, it, within three pages, I was like, oh man, this is a whole different world. This is me. And yes, that was so key. I recognized me. He started talking about goodists and I was like, Oh, I've never been, I was better described in a back pain book than any psychology book I had ever read or even literature. I'm an English major. It's like, I saw in Dr. Sarno, I was like, that's me right there. Yeah. And that, that started to get me out of it. I can tell you more details, but I already went on long enough. (laughs) You said something that I want to ask about. You said you had to claw your way out of there. Are you talking about the medical system? No, I didn't have to claw my way out of the medical system. I abandoned them very quickly. Okay. Uh, I, I don't, you know, it's funny. I'm a very, I'm a trusting person, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I don't trust most people I found. Um, I, I trust more people now, but at the time I was very trusting. I was willing to go along with it. But when people show signs of, I can't trust them. I mean, I have a trauma history. I just shut down. I was like, nope, okay, we're not going there anymore. You're out of the loop. I didn't know where to go, but I did not have to claw my way out of the medical uh, okay. the medical field. I think a lot of people do have to mm-hmm. do that. They get so much bad information and they go down rabbit holes. I didn't have that happen. Okay. Um, but uh, I really empathize with people who do have that happen. Yeah, absolutely. What I did mean about clawing my way out was more figuring out what was happening. And I had to do that all for myself. How long ago was this? That was in 2011 that I read Sarno. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's a lot more 
resources available now than I assume there were then. Yes, yes, Um, including me. Right, (laughs) yeah. I I created a lot of my resources to be what I wished was there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, okay, so at that transition, you've discovered this, then you start the healing process. For you, I'm just curious, how long was the healing process for you, if you use that word? Um, well, it's interesting. I, I don't object to the word. I, I never object to whatever words people want to use. I don't tend to think about it as healing, either for me or other people, unless it's from a true injury. Um, right. But it is a kind of healing because it is more a healing of the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wounded from my past trauma history, but I was also wounded from this experience. This wow. eight-year experience was its own trauma and one of the worst I ever had. So there is a lot of healing that needs to take place. Um, I think it can easily get confused with physical. So the way I think about it is, when did I begin to sort out and understand what was happening? It's all semantics. But um, when I read, the first Sarno book I read was uh, his first book, actually. It was called Mind Over Back Pain. It's not one that people often read that much, actually. Mm -hmm. I hear people read Healing Back Pain more than any of the four books he he of uh, the other three books he wrote and uh ironically that's the only one that i didn't read until later hmm. um so i read mind over back pain because the chiropractor only wanted me to go so far with sarno he was like listen he starts to say stuff that i don't agree with oh so i read mind over back pain it started to make sense but i didn't get any real physical change but i was very excited and hopeful about it and i just kept working on it and um, when I started to get real change was, it was over a two-month period. When I read Mind Over Back Pain, I started talking to the therapist I was seeing at the time. I don't know if you've seen me talk about uh, my therapy experience, but I had one therapist who was really difficult for me. Yeah, um, you hated him, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I hated him. I think he might have hated me even more, <laughs> but that's okay. It's uh, mutual. To, to each his own. Uh, everybody can have bad taste sometimes and he, he <laughs> um you know and i i really i work hard to make relationships work it doesn't matter who who the relationship is with i like to have harmony uh, i don't like yeah. conflict so that was really hard for me but mm-hmm. i started to run these ideas by him and he you know just wasn't buying them at all he was just like you know you just i just think you have a bad back which is not very helpful for me to hear and completely incorrect at the same time Mm -hmm. but during that time he went away for a week in the summer and my back pain went up so this is something that can be helpful for people is to recognize it's not always your symptoms going down with the mind body work sometimes the symptoms go up but seeing the correlation makes a difference and so i was like i can't believe i'm bothered by him going away i hate his guts I don't even want to see him. It's a relief that he's gone. How on earth am I getting pain while he's gone? And some of it was I just couldn't believe that I would be bothered by a week's vacation. I was like, you know, but that's not the way the mind works. It's not the way the unconscious mind works or your emotions work. And so I noted that. I still didn't totally believe it. But um, then he was going away again, and the pain went up again. And then I was like, okay. Uh, this can't be an accident, no matter what I think. Yeah. And I decided, all right, t- 
time to do something about this. I'm going to read another Sarno book. Uh, I'm going to read his latest one, The Divided Mind. I'm going to go see, I just started doing everything that I thought I should do in a like TMS mind-body model. I went to see Eric Sherman, who trained uh, under Arlene Feinblatt and uh, Sarno himself. And um, this is part of why I do what I do. I went to Eric hoping to find a mind-body expert. I didn't want a therapist. I wanted yeah. a mind-body expert. Yeah. And I don't say this critically of Eric at all. I love Eric, and I understand why he does what he does. He is truly a therapist. He's a mind-body-informed therapist, but that's not what I wanted. And he, he said that he couldn't see me while I was still seeing the other therapist because that went against kind of therapy protocol, mm. you know, it would undermine the other relationship. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting hit on all sides here. I can't get the help I need because I'm seeing a therapist who I hate. I, I hadn't come to terms with how much I hated him at that point or, or, okay. or being ready to leave him. Because if I had, I would have just done it. So I thought, okay, fine. Well, let me ask you, can I ask you some questions? I said to Eric, he said, yeah. I peppered him with like 200 questions. Um, everything I wanted to know from what I was reading in Sarno. And he answered them really, really well. And it, it was very helpful. That one session showed me just how important it is to conquer doubt. And I felt, I felt significantly more optimistic after that. I went to read The Divided Mind a couple days later. I was uh, on vacation reading The Divided Mind, and three days later, I was doing flips in the pool. Yes, that's amazing. I was going to ask you why Crushing Doubt was what you named um, your platform, your program, what you're about. And so am I understanding you, it's kind of from that conversation of having somebody to answer your 200 questions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that was the birth of the doubt column right there. Um, yeah. You know, the the original seed of it was from reading, especially The Divided Mind, and getting Sarno saying it's how important it was to accept the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That's the original idea that I heard. And I really mm -hmm. I, I give Sarno so much credit for so many things, but including that. He didn't highlight it as much in his books in terms of doubt, but he did say the people who don't accept the diagnosis don't get better. So yeah. I was thinking about that. Then I thought about this session with Eric Sherman and thought, wow, look how much, look how much more optimistic I am about getting better now. Yeah. And uh, started to think about it in those terms. Once I got better, that's when I really started thinking about what was that? And that's when the concept of doubt came to mind. Do you remember any of the 200 questions? I probably remember almost all of them. But yes, I can give you some. Can you just, yeah, just a couple that you, that you think other people might have too. Yeah. Um, I thought, well, I had been in a car accident when I was uh, 24 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is it possible that that just finally like caught up to me with the wear and tear of that? And Eric was like, no, you know, injuries hurt when they happen, you yeah. know, and that made sense to me. That was one. I remember asking, is it possible uh, so uh, yeah, I love my wife. We have a very good relationship, but there was some tension in the relationship at that time as there often is in relationships. Yeah. And I remember asking him, is it possible that my mind body issues are caused by my wife? Actually, she wasn't my wife then. She was my girlfriend, but, uh, okay. uh, I, I was like, can it be caused by someone else? Cause I, what I was thinking in my head is, do I need to get rid of this person I love? Cause they're 
causing these problems. And he said, you could be married to or, or with the worst person on the planet. No, actually, that's not true. We were married already. I'm losing track of time. But uh, he said, you could be married to the worst person on the planet who puts you through absolute torture. And that is not the cause. It comes from whatever's going on inside you. So that was another one. Yeah. I love, um, I, I absolutely love that statement. So. Yeah. Um, I remember asking, you know, is it possible that, uh, well, actually this was a big one. I said, I'm reading Sarno and he talks about repressed anger, but I have like 15 years of therapy experience and I'm extremely aware of all kinds of anger. How do I understand that? Yeah. And what he said was, a lot of times it's not about a lack of awareness of the anger. It can be about a lack of awareness about your feelings about the anger, mm. which was interesting. That didn't even prove to be the whole thing, but it did answer it in a fairly nice fashion. I asked him about goodism. I was like, you know, he talked about that. I was like, is this really as typical as he says? He was like, all the time, you're a poster child for this. It's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I could go on and on. You, you tell me when yeah. I should stop reciting the questions that I had, but they're, oh, well, they're just, they're, so they're much. really good questions. Um, going back a little bit, did you discover what it was, what it was about your therapist going away for a week that, um, that made your pain go up? And I, and I asked that because we all have, um, instances where something good happens to us and our pain goes up and um i have my own way of answering that question but i'd love to hear you just talk about your your therapist goes away it's a good thing awesome your brain your subconscious mind should be at ease a little bit more and yet it's not yeah well i certainly do have that experience in myself and talking to other people that good things can lead to symptoms going up that was not actually one of those though even though i was kind of relieved he was going away as i look at it as I look back at it now and look back at it for all these years afterwards, that was a kind of reenactment of abandonment. It wasn't good. Oh, um, I see. That was simply, no matter how much I'm mad at this guy, I can't believe he hates me. Yeah. And it, it was hard. It was hard for me. I mean, I, I grew up, I, you, sounds like you're pretty aware of what my experience was and I've watched some things of mine, but um, I didn't have a father for a long time. And I didn't feel valid in certain ways. And I think his going away in the non-caring way that he did just felt invalidating. I can talk about, you know, times where I felt something good and the pain went up, but that wasn't one of them. That was a time where it just actually was some real grief and trauma reenactment that I just wasn't aware of. Yeah. Um. We've brought up the word trauma several times, and I have this towards the end of if we have time, I'd like to talk about trauma, and yet I'm just feeling like I want to talk about it. Um, okay. how, do you, how do you work with clients who have trauma? Actually, I'm going to just jump to a question sure. um, that, that somebody sent me. Um, if PTSD is the underlying reason, then do we separate treatment? treatment because trauma is stuck in the body. So somebody emailed me that, well, Instagrammed it to me today. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, yeah, just talk about, just talk about trauma and its role in this and how, and as a word, 
um, what does that yeah. word do to us, et cetera? Yeah, and it's a really tricky word. It's a tricky <laughs> word for many people. It has all kinds of meanings and connotations, and some of the connotations people don't want any part of. But I didn't want any part of that. I didn't want to think of myself as a victim at all. I, I didn't want to experience myself as having had trauma. I've changed my my idea of trauma. The way when I'm talking about trauma, I think everybody has trauma of various kinds. It, it's traumatic to be a person, actually, in in many ways. But there also is trauma with more of a capital T, big things that happen. Yeah. The way I think about trauma is their experiences that alter who you are. They're so big that you can't be the same person anymore. So it's almost like the old person died. Um, and I, I'm painting with a broad brush here. So, you know, yeah. I want to reserve the right to back up and get more detailed and nuanced about it. But great. I think that that's a good way of defining it, essentially, is did something really alter who you are and how you think about things? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've had many different kinds of experiences that I actually would categorize as trauma, but I don't mean it in a I feel bad for myself sort of way, or I want somebody else to feel bad for me, or I'm diminished in some way. If anything, I was very standoffish about that word because I didn't want to see how I had been hurt. Yeah, repression. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm very struck by when people talk about that trauma uh, gets stuck in the body. The way I think about it is a little different. Okay. I don't think that trauma gets stuck in the body. I think it gets housed in the body. And I think that's a very different. It's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. Because stuck sounds like it's not going anywhere. And it, it mm -hmm. sounds like you're locked into it because of your experience. Yeah. Forever. Whereas I, yeah. Whereas I think the body expresses it until the communication is received, until you understand that. But when you understand, can you unpack that, that more? Uh, I can try. <laughs> um, when the, what yeah. do you mean by the communication is received? Okay, so in my work, uh, I have the three columns, and um, the power column is the, the the place where we look at our relationship with ourselves. The symptoms communicate different things in each column, in my system. In the emotions column, it is simply that distraction that Sarno talks about. The, they're not communicating. They're trying to hide. They're trying to hide it. That's the function. Yeah. The function with doubt is to just keep itself going and growing to keep you from being able to discover anything. It's like a gigantic smokescreen. Yeah. Um, it's like as if the emotional distraction isn't enough. It needs to get you completely confounded so you can't see your way out at all. Hmm. But the power column is a kind of thing that you can discover that these symptoms are trying to tell you something. And I discovered that because when I figured out my back pain and got better from it, I understood a lot of things about myself that I didn't understand before. Yeah. So I understood that this therapist, much as I hated him, did mean something to me. And it was hard for me that he didn't like me. And it was hard that we weren't getting along. And it was hard that I was going to have to end that relationship. <laughs> I knew it at some level. <laughs> It was, and the back pain was also communicating to me all the things that I had hurt from in the past. I knew I had a dead father, but I kept saying to myself, I never even knew him. Why is this a big deal? Mm. Well, the symptoms were communicating, this is a big deal. And now I understand why. It's true, I didn't know him. But I also didn't feel valid because he wasn't there. 
Yeah. And I also felt mad at him that he wasn't there. And I, uh, I actually, I write, um, I write songs now. I've started writing songs uh, in the last three or four years. And I wrote a song about him and the fact that he knew he was dying and he didn't write me anything. Mm-hmm. The song's called No Letter. Yeah. And, um, you know, I didn't, I really didn't know that I was so upset about it. Right. But I am. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the communication you're talking about. Your body is communicating, please acknowledge. Your own hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, sometimes the symptoms can be resolved if you just solve that distraction, if, it, if that's the only real function of it. And sometimes the symptoms can be resolved if you just bring down the doubt and then you can get back on your way. But if it's a, what I call a power column function, you've got to receive the communication or the symptoms will just keep on holding on. Yeah. And, and that means um, feeling our feelings, right? In that yes, case. although I would just add one thing. I, it's feeling the feelings and understanding them. I think that's what mm-hmm. you meant anyway, but mm-hmm. I, just, I think it's a helpful distinction to add yeah. that in. Yeah. Yes. So then going back to um, this person's question, if PTSD, which can be complex, CPTSD also, is the underlying reason, then do you separate treatment because trauma is stuck in the body? So we're, you're saying it's not, it's in the most gentle, kind way. It's not stuck there. It can be communicated and come out. So there is so much hope. Um, But then what about this question of separating out treatment? It's a great question. I'm going to try to answer it, but I I would say to the person asking this question, don't stop asking your questions even after this one, because I'm not going to answer it to the full satisfaction in all likelihood. Yeah. That's part of what I learned with Eric Sherman. It's like there was always a question after the question. Yeah. But I'll start. Um, I think... uh, I think some of it depends on who you're working with. You know, there are people I think in the mind body field who are capable of helping you with mind body issues and doing trauma work. I'm one of them. Yeah. Um, in my groups, you know, I, the power column is where you do work on the trauma. So we really do. And it doesn't necessarily need to be separated. However, there are times where, the trauma experience is so big uh, or, or so its own entity that it does help to have two separate ones, but I don't think of them as separated. I think of them as um, yeah, simpatico kind of. So I, I'm a big proponent of having multiple uh, treatments going that do address different things because it can be helpful. When people come to me in group, I can then work on, the column system and helping them understand their symptoms and they have their own therapist for trauma work it happens all the time. Yeah. I do trauma work as well within the column structure, but if it needs to go beyond that, I don't think it needs to be separate, but I think it can be adjunctive and I think that can be very helpful. So hopefully I've answered that question. Yeah. Relatively. I, I, I like it. I like your answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So thanks for answering the trauma questions. I, I just, sure. Yeah, I think the the idea that 
there's something that we know that words words are so important and they hold so many connotations for each person differently so for one person to say trauma is stuck in the body means something to the different to the next person exactly. um, yeah some people so, could take comfort in it they could be like oh good right. now i understand what's happening and they're on their way but right are, i just i'm totally with you that language is so important yeah yeah so however you use that term the bottom line is that there is there's hope um, when we start to recognize what is what's happening in the body and and that there's there's a way out mm -hmm. not to quote the book but um okay so we've definitely um jumped we jumped into columns work but um for everybody watching just in case you don't know dan ratner has this columns work that is uh just really makes it simple for us right um can you just unpack what what that means and just a little bit more about that sure um and as i worked over time it, it became very important to be able to simplify it i didn't i wasn't actually simplifying what i was saying what i'm saying actually is simple but i needed to figure out how to say it relatively yeah. simply so here it is um well, I, I'm going to give a little bit of backstory, and then I'll give you the simple one. Um, Great. When I read Sarno, I needed to understand why there were certain distinctions between things. And one of the things I needed to understand was, why are there some acute short-term symptoms? Like he described getting heartburn while on a trip with his wife in the book. And I'm like, what's that versus my eight years of back pain? What? Mm -hmm. Why is there a distinction? So Essentially, what I found out in asking all these questions and exploring all these things is that the symptoms are there for three different reasons. And those three different reasons funnel out into the columns, and they tell you how you're supposed to work with them. So if the symptom function is that distraction where the symptom is there so that you don't know about your emotional life, that's emotions column. Yeah. And that is for acute onsets and upticks and symptoms. I can always address those things. If I hear about an acute symptom, when did it pop up? I'm like, what's the timing? I start working in the emotions column immediately. Yeah. Okay. If a symptom has been there for a long time and is always the same though, that's not the same thing. That's not a distraction. That's become something else. That's about doubt. So this is the doubt column. Um, I don't use the term chronic. I call it consistently acute which means it is always there, but it still is acute. And once you break that idea down, it's much easier to move. But essentially, the doubt column is where you just need to get all of your fears down, your confusion wiped away. You got to get to certainty. You got to get all of your questions answered to your satisfaction. And when that happens, you get to move out of what people see as seemingly chronic. Go ahead and I'll get to the power column in a second. The, um, and, and when you say doubts and questions, um, are you specifically talking about, mm, I'm going to just say that the science of um, TMS? or that, That's does part of it. I'm okay. talking very broad. Uh, um, any, any, there's four types of doubt, fear, confusion, lack of certainty, and questions. Okay. And... If you have any of those about anything, then you have doubt. And the door is open for you to worry about the symptom and think it's not going to go away. Because if you don't understand something, how can you think it's, you know, you're going to have a harder time believing you can get rid of it. So you could have doubts about the science or you could have doubts about your particular symptom. 
or you could have doubts about the diagnosis, or you could have doubts about your ability to, to manage this and master it, even if it is mind-body. You could have doubts as to whether things are even knowable. I mean, it's it, doubt has no bounds, unless we give them bounds, which we need to. Um, so in your own journey, did you have, was this column, what, was this column important to you? Was this column uh, difficult for you? Um, this column was, was it difficult for me? That's a great question. Uh, I would say that it is the column that is the one that caused my symptoms for all those years. Um, but I would also say that it is the column that resolved itself the fastest. Yeah. Yes. Once I really had the doubt down. Okay. So uh, hmm. I was giving a simple explanation and I want to actually I think it'll be easier if I back up and say it again, just for the simplicity of it. The emotions column is for the acute onset or uptick in symptoms. And you find out what the emotion is, you get rid of the distraction, and it's gone. Yep. The doubt column is to get rid of seemingly chronic conditions, consistently acute as I see them, by making sure we understand everything about what we need to know so we are completely confident in the diagnosis and that it's reversible. Yeah. And the power column is about, and we already talked about this some, receiving the communication of the symptoms, which is really about understanding yourself and coming to pieces by yourself. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. Powerful. Okay. So can, let's see, I was going to have you give examples of all these, but it's, I feel like you've maybe done that all. So the difference between the emotion and the power column. Mm-hmm. Do they overlap sometimes? Yes, they do. They are both emotional columns. Yeah. I don't want to get confusing calling it that, but it really is true. Yeah. And the way I think about it is the power column runs deeper than the emotions column. The emotions column yeah. is like, yeah. okay, this person's doing something that reminds me of what my mom did here, and that's upsetting, and I don't like it in this situation. Yeah. The power column is like, I see this, and this is how it always is. It, it, it gets much broader. Mm -hmm. And um, so not only are the functions of the symptoms different, but the depth of the emotion is different. Yeah. Do you believe, and part of what I love about the show and any show is that we have people on that have difference in opinions on all this. Um, mm -hmm. Do you believe we have to change to heal? So... Let's say you discover people pleasing is rooted in um, in some trauma in your childhood, mm -hmm. um, and you have this trait. People pleasing is generally rooted in distress or some sort of fear. Do you believe that we have to reduce how much we're a people pleaser? This is a great question. Um, I would say yes. I do think that you have to I do think you have to make changes, but I want to make a caveat about that. Okay. I don't think you have to change who you are. I don't think you have to change who you are at base. So in other words, you can be a people pleaser as long as you don't do it too much. <laughs> you know, it can be it can be who you are inside. You can have that impulse, but you need to know about that impulse and control it a bit. Um you also don't have to change super radically. You know, sometimes it's not even about the actual outside behavior. You could go on pleasing people 
but you could at least know there's a part of me that doesn't like this and I'm only going to take it so far or I'm only going to yeah. do it for certain people. Yeah. So I think what it's really about is learn who you are and channel it into the universe in a better way. It's not so much that we have to change so radically. There are times, though, where we do, where we have yeah. to make a, a, a pretty big radical change. Yeah. I just think it, it comes naturally to the person when they understand themselves. So hopefully I didn't answer that question in a muddied sort of way. Um, I love the way you answered that question. And I think uh, my beliefs along that align with yours. And uh, um, I think there's maybe there's something to the fact that a lot of those personality traits were learned. So is it fair to say um, maybe I'm not at my core a people pleaser? Um, yeah, actually, that's a fantastic point. Yes. A lot of the times the things we need to change aren't really us. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a good example. Um, am I a people pleaser? Actually, I don't think I am at heart. I did that a lot. Yeah. What I am is I'm empathic, I'm caring, and I will go the extra mile for people. But that's not the same thing as being a people pleaser. Love it. Yes. Yes. It's it's intentionality, right? Like instead of being victim to people pleasing, we're saying, hey, this is part of me is that I care about people and I'm going to do it with this, with this, I don't know, this motivation. It's a lame word, but that is um, powerful. Yeah. Opposed yeah. to being controlled by. Yeah. It, I, I liked the, you chose the word originally intentionality about this. And I think that's a really good word for this. Um, but to be intentional, you need to know who are you at your core. So in the power column, I have this thing called the core narrative where you find your center story, the center story of how you've suffered in your life. Because we have lots of stories. And that's how we know who we are. Like I am a person who did not feel valid for a long time and now does. I mean, maybe not at every moment, but mostly. Yeah. And that makes me... I was people-pleasing to fill the void of that lack of validity. Mm -hmm. The caring me hasn't gone anywhere. I'm, I'm very similar to how I always was. I just don't do things that sacrifice myself for false motivations. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, mean, I don't mean that critically of myself or anybody else who is working with those. I think finding out who you really are is key. Yeah. Which I think is even, you know, when you, the original question was, do you need to change yourself? I actually think it's more you need to find out who you are. Yeah. Yes. And work and work towards going back to, I mean, back to, is that fair? Or some of us, some of us never had the opportunity to be who we were. Exactly. Yes, I did. So, yeah. So finding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some people go back to it. Some people go to it for the first time. Yeah. Yes. Mm, good. Good, good conversation. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so go back to this core, what did you say, core narrative, core story, core? Core narrative, yep. Yeah. I mean, we can call it lots of different things, but that's what I call it. Okay, and is this the core narrative of what you, what you went through and what you are um, struggling to fight to overcome, or is this the narrative of who you want to be? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, here, here's what the core narrative is. The core narrative is three sentences. And the first sentence oh. is, what is the central way that you suffered in your life? Mm. 
if you had to sum it up in one sentence. Yeah. For me, it was mostly about validity. I, I can take you through some of the specifics, but you want to get that main idea. The second sentence is, how did that affect you? What are all the ways in your life that that had ramifications? Mm. And by the way, these are long sentences. They can be okay. Char Charles Dickens sentences. They can be okay. long uh, sometimes you can get them pretty short. But There goes the English major in you. Yes, exactly. Um, and actually, sometimes people have a longer version of this, too. They write it originally, and it's like four or five sentences each to get the ideas, and then they slowly hone it down. It can be good to have a longer version. The third sentence is, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to live differently? Yeah. Um, and So I'll tell you briefly, essentially, what mine is. Okay. Mine essentially is, um, I was born into a situation without a father, and I got lots of signals that I was supposed to be kind of secondary and subservient to other people's needs. And it made me sacrifice myself and feel that I wasn't really valid on my own. That's sentence one. Sentence two would be something like this. And I don't have this memorized or anything. I reinvented each time, but it's the basic <laughs> idea. The second sentence would be, um, this led me to um, please people all the time to avoid conflict. It led me especially to try to please my abusers. Uh, it led me to be very cautious in relationships, but in a very secretive way that no one could really see. It led to me having a lot of anxiety, including like a major phobia. It led me to stay out of romantic relationships for a long time. Mm -hmm. It led me to essentially have, uh, there's a therapist named uh, Donald Winnicott who used to talk about something called the false self. Uh, it led me to not be fully me yeah and to feel like there was no place for me in the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it did other things but that that's you know um, among them i often felt not understood also that was another part um and so then when you get to the third sentence what am i going to do about it mm -hmm. well here's what i decided when i finally realized all this i decided i would not sacrifice myself ever again in any kind of major way. I, that doesn't mean I wouldn't make sacrifices or be um, you know, cooperative or anything like that. I'm still a very cooperative person, but I wouldn't sacrifice myself in ways that really contradicted who I am at my core, no matter what anybody thought. And I also was going to stop looking for any father figure. I wasn't going to look to anybody else for my power. I was going to get it from me. Mm -hmm. And I was going to, there's a phrase that I use called being fiercely in your own corner. Yes. I decided I was going to be fiercely in my own corner. And that word fiercely is the key because we're all in our own corner to some degree. But we don't tend to be fierce about it. Yeah. In fact, we're so not fierce about it that we usually aren't even in our own corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was that was a, a big part of my story is – somehow I learned that it was not okay to be in my own corner. It, it, yeah. My job was to be in everybody else's corner, which is like you're saying is wonderful. It is so great to be loving and caring and to look out for one another. And, um, but, 
but we need to be in our own corner too. Otherwise, my literally in my own body became unsafe. Like my nervous system, my brain, my body was operating as if I was the enemy. And I was. <laughs> everything was unsafe for me. I, yeah. I mean, I lived over 40 years of my life with essentially everything being unsafe. Yeah. I mean, I made it as safe as it could be within the confines of that. Hmm. But it's kind of like saying, you know, yeah, I kept safe on this World War II battlefield with mines everywhere. Like, that's not safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no relaxation and peace happening there for sure. Mm -mm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so that's the, so we've got the Collinsworth and the narrative, and that is, were you going to say something? Well, I actually, I was just thinking, you know, sometimes it, 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 when I'm sitting with somebody and hearing what they went through, it's hard for me to not wonder. So and maybe we need to have a second conversation about this where I get to find out what did you go through? What was, yeah. and what was this experience like for you? So I, and that's not people pleasing. It's just genuine curiosity and, and yeah. interest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be a whole nother, a whole nother, uh, session for sure. Or conversation. I, um, I really like the way you've lined out those three sentences. And I'm very aware of sentence two and three. Number one is a little bit more difficult for me. And I think this is inspiring me to look back and kind of summarize in a yeah, way yeah. that I can easily, um, I don't know, bring it to mind when I'm when I yeah. experience small things that trigger that. I have a suggestion that could help with that, not Great. just for you, but for, for the people um, you know, tuning in here. The way that you get to that, and you know, you asked this question, how do the emotions and power columns relate? And they are both emotion-based columns. Well, the way you get to sentence one of the core narrative is to take all the themes that you develop in the emotions column, because that's the work that, that I say to do there. Yeah is to find the main areas of life that are upsetting for you. That's the emotions column. And I encourage people to come up with, usually the guideline is about six to 12 themes. Less than that is usually not describing the person very well. More than that starts to have gradations where some, is, some are more minor and some are more major. But if you take those six to 12 themes and you said, now what are all these themes saying together? Yeah. That's how you can get to sentence one. Yeah. And I think my history would be, is going to be complex PTSD. And I think for me, I learned that I had to be perfect, morally perfect. Um, and so that, that brought, so I do this channel from a Christian perspective. I'm not sure if I, we talked about that or not, but, um, I so I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so for me, I, I, I learned things about God that were untrue. And what I really mean by that is I did not learn about his grace. I did not learn that it was absolutely okay for me to be flawed to, I'm going to use the word sin to make mistakes, um, um, and be safe in that. Uh, so I had a narrative of shame. Um, and then in my adult life, when things happened to me that were, uh, that invited judgment um, or others' opinions, 
I was stuck because I couldn't please everybody and therefore judgment came upon me. It wasn't even from God. Now it was from people. Um, so, so there's this fear, shame around, I have to make the right decision and the right choice every time or, and, yeah. and I don't know how to answer that or. Right. All the more scary. Right. Yeah. Wow. So my healing was all around that and learning, oh my gosh, I get to be flawed. I get to be flawed on this show. I get to be flawed in my personal life. Um, I get to be flawed in my relationship with God and with my friends and my family and all those things. Yeah. And if they don't like it, well, that's okay. And saying all this stuff, I have great peace in my body. So that that two and three are solid, but the one is a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I, I think. I think you can get there. I even have some idea from what you just said about how I'm thinking about it, but it doesn't matter what I think. Only you yeah. will know. But I think what you're describing is exactly the work of the power column. You came to peace where you could finally relax into yourself. And it was partly because you realized, oh, I really wasn't even giving myself space to be safe, even with God. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It was like, you know, that, that peace that you have. And I was the same way. I was, I wouldn't say I was a perfectionist, like I felt I needed to be perfect in reality, but actually I was always just like, I, I, but I, okay, I'm not trying to be perfect. I just can't do anything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what, right. What, what's the distinction, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I think what I came to understand is very, very similar to you, if not exact. I came to realize that my sense of needing to not do anything wrong was a lack of safety. It was a self-attack. It wasn't allowing myself yeah. to be in my body or the world comfortably at yeah. all. Yeah. If my safety is reliant upon how people perceive even my thoughts, not a moment for safety, not a moment for my body to be at ease. Um, and I want to clarify just because of my watchers, um, this had nothing to do with what God was saying to me. It was all about my own voice and sure. um, and voices that I had believed, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you've gotten nothing but those messages, it's it distorts all kinds of things. You can't. Yeah. I mean, I saw the whole world as watching for me to make mistakes. And the second I would, they would nail me to the wall. Yeah. And of course, I was doing that myself to some degree, but we get mm -hmm. it from the world too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It's interesting because I actually see in talking to you, I can see you. I hope you don't mind me saying this. I mean it as a compliment, but I can see you in the flow of yourself where you're not, you let yourself just be, you know, yeah. and th that's the way I am too, uh, a lot of the time, m the majority of the time. It's like when we talked about this show, I didn't prepare at all. I just, right. I'm just here to talk. I'm, yeah. I'll say all kinds of things. Because who you are is okay. And who you are is safe. Um, That's right. And, and that, that matters. And rewind for years. There's absolutely no way that I would be on here interviewing you, talking to you, talking about myself um, in the flow that you're talking about, the comfort. Um, okay. And it, it, so it's about learning what you're talking about. That, that third piece to me of how am I going to, how'd you put it? How am I going to, what am I going to do differently? Or how am I going to, what am I going to do about this? Mm -hmm. um, 
and getting back to that, okay, what's my core identity? Um, who, who am I minus all this, this crap that I really don't want to carry with me? Absolutely. You know, I, I, uh, I started my podcast and show about two and a half years ago. And uh, I was a very different person even then. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, the idea, I mean, I had been silenced my whole life. I, I didn't think of myself as a leader at all. In fact, I was, I was always somebody who would, I could lead as long as I was one of the top followers also. You know, mm -hmm. I had to be below the leader. I couldn't really speak for myself that much. Interesting. And um, yeah. so I really want to put a plug in for people that you can change a lot. I mean, I was... A shy kid couldn't have imagined being a leader. And, you know, I, I, I now understand certain things about myself that I did not understand before at all. I kept thinking, as an example, uh, so I've told you I write songs. I, I've played guitar and sung for a long time, only figured out how to write songs in the last, you know, four years or so. But I used to think, I would love to be in a band. I don't know, why, why don't I, why haven't I found something? I'm a huge Beatles fan. I'm like... Where where's my John Lennon? I like to think of myself as a Paul McCartney type. And I was like, I can't find anybody even. Like, I can't. No offense to Ringo, but I can't even find a Ringo. You know, although drummers are actually very hard to find. Uh, I've really gone off on a tangent now. But the what I found is, I think the reason that I didn't find anything like that is that it's not who I am. I'm not a follower. Yeah. I didn't know. But I'm a leader. Yeah. That's you didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I was always fighting me. Mm -hmm. You were fighting the false, who was it you quoted? The false identity, the false self? Yeah, yeah for uh, Winnicott. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, false identity, that that really resonates with me. I, I do that work with my clients too true self, false identity. What is it that we believe in when that false identity, we, we do have to, I hate the word fight because fight is not a sense of peace, but uh, confront. Uh, I, I understand what you mean though. Like I, if I can voice it, um, I yeah. do, th it's a very different kind of fighting. It's a good fighting. Yeah. I mean, we not could call fear. it ad advocating maybe, or we could call it but it, it's fiercer than that yeah I, I sometimes say to people you have to you have to stage an inner rebellion <laughs> yeah where you are not going to settle for not being you yeah ever <laughs> and and that um that oh gosh we're running out of time and i'm and we're just gonna have to get some of these questions um so I can stay longer, whatever you want. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that fighting being fiercely in your corner, um, when I first started doing that, I had flare ups. Um, but those flare ups were so, I, I now look back on them and I think I did slightly at the time is they were slightly beautiful, um, because it was that my false self kind of scared if you will. Um, and so can you just talk to that about that piece a little bit for people? Because I think a lot of times people start doing this work and then the symptoms go up, even as they're getting in their own corner. And what's oh, that yeah. about? Yeah, I, I, I tell people in my groups, especially because we talk these things through a lot, that when you are 
either preparing to become powerful or taking steps to become powerful, doubt comes crashing in. Yeah. It wants to prevent it because doubt is there to protect you from perceived dangers. Yeah. And we were trained that being powerful was dangerous. Yeah. You know, I was told, don't make you big ever. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea of uh, I'm, you know, working on finishing up my book. I'm having more flare-ups during this time as I get closer and closer. Mm. It, but knowing that helps because I, A, I know it's not going to last. B, I know what it's about. C, I can spend time thinking about the right things and be back mm. in my power column and thinking, boy, that really was hard to be taught that you shouldn't be powerful. That really yeah. sucked. Yes. That whole thing about being powerful, I think also, again, just talking to my watchers, I think sometimes in Christian culture, we're told we can't be powerful and big. And I just want to argue back that with that and just say, we're absolutely empowered. Um, and it's, uh, and it is good and right to be exactly who you are intended to be. Um, I was working with the client not that long ago we were talking about the size of plate and what triggers and what doesn't and i was like well who are you naturally what size of plate do you want to have um and she was like medium and i was like great let's not make i have a large plate i was i naturally have a large plate um and i and i want that so let's let's look at what is powerful and big to you and i guess kind of what i'm getting at dan is like um are there people who can be powerful in a less visible way and it's still powerful oh absolutely i yeah. I, I don't presume to know anybody's story or who they are or what they need um you know if for example somebody grew up in a family where the value was getting accolades and making lots of money but really what they want to do is raise kids and that's the their power yeah. as long as you actually feel powerful that's all i care about because yeah. that's going to align with you. And that can be in all kinds of ways. People could feel that being a school teacher. That could be their power. Um, yes. And then for some other people, they're like, eh, I might think about being president. You know, it's like, it, it's right. It can, it can really vary. And the, the nice thing I found is that um, when you find out who you are, you don't really have to worry about that. You just you just start going for what you want. You know, I, I recently I'm making a transition uh, in some of my work because um, I got my degree in psychology, my doctorate degree in psychology in 2004, and I saw lots of long term patients. And um, after discovering this symptom work and developing my system, I so much more want to be doing that. Mm, yeah. And what I found is me as the therapist didn't feel like that wasn't my plate to use your terminology that, that yeah. was a plate that i thought was acceptable it was good work mm. um i did a pretty good job but i wasn't kind of thriving and vibing with me yeah um now i'm writing songs and screenplays yeah. and i made a documentary and i'm like you know i do a lot of stuff it, it could be a little much but that's my plate. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you thrive in it and you like it and it's flow and it's good. Yeah. Yep. And if I feel it isn't, I back up and say, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Yeah. Yep. Uh, documentary. 
Yeah, I did it. Actually, you'll be interested in this. This documentary um, is all about God, actually. Um, oh, wow. I I worked with um, he, he, Freddie Stevenson is his name. I had him on my my podcast and show. I also do some sports shows, and he originally came on the sports show because he wanted to make it in the NFL. But when he didn't make it in the NFL, his life fell apart, and he had to really put himself back together. And how did he do it? He really did it through God. Hmm. Um, wow. And uh, it's, it's his story of redemption. Uh, it's his story of finding out who he really was. He thought he was a football player, and that's not actually who he really was. Yeah. There's a part of who he was, maybe, but it wasn't the central part, and he knows that. Yeah. So this is uh, the movie's called Trials to Triumph. Um, we are hoping to release it in May. Okay. So I uh, assume you'll blast that out when that happens. I definitely will. Okay. Uh, Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're hoping it'll be widely distributed. Freddie Stevenson? Yep. Okay. Okay. F R E D D I E. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Can I blast you with some questions that I told people I would ask? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, okay. First one. Ooh, that's a long one. We're going to skip that one. Come back if we have time. Any tips for coming off of benzos? Oh, um, I do have tips. Uh, coming off of benzos may be a little bit um, different than what I'm about to say, but this relates. Okay. Um, in terms of coming off of benzos, one thing I do know is that medically speaking, you should consult with a doctor about that just because if you come off of benzos fast, it can be medically dangerous. But as long as you're following the medical advice, here's the main thing I would say. Yeah. There are a lot of mind-body experiences in that. Yeah. Um, I had the experience, it was after I uh, ended, or it was about the time where I was getting ready to end things in that bad therapy relationship. I had huge anxiety. For the first time in my life, I took antidepressants. I had never done anything like it. I never thought I would. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't like being on them because he convinced me to be on them. And he was actually probably the reason I was on them in a lot of ways. It was really complicated. Yeah. And um, when it was time to get off of them, I kept, I would wean myself down and then I have all these symptoms and I'd be like, are these side effects of the medication or are they mind body? And I had so much doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And um, so much of the time I thought, I have no idea. It really could be the, the medication. Well, what I will say is as I worked at it, the vast majority of things were actually mind body. It just is that strong. Yeah. And so my, my tip would be work at it slowly, but recognize that every single one of those side effects, unless they're really, you know, medical in that very big way work at them because every single one of them you probably can reduce some and if you find that you can reduce it some then that means that there's at least a mind-body component and then you can keep going and do it little by little and give yourself time don't try to do it fast i brought myself down i said i'm gonna stay here for two full weeks i'm not going anywhere yeah and then it eventually i got off of it and i felt much better I remember coming off and just like kind of crumbling <laughs> the pill and just taking like a tiny, just the tiniest uh -huh. granule out. Uh -huh. And then, and it was not benzos, but, um, but yeah. in, and, and I knew, I knew that it was just my brain in fear of coming off the pills. Yeah. Um, but I chose to be kind to my brain and uh, just that, 
That's exactly what I would say. Be be kind to yourself about it. You don't need to be a warrior about this. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like to give myself more of a triggering experience than I need to. Uh, Right. Might as well wait two weeks and fine. I'll cut the pills in half, even if it's completely ridiculous. If it helps me, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I even, this may sound silly, but uh, this, uh, this fits with the kind of thing we're talking about. If I'm, uh, looking like, let's say, at a piece of food, and I'm like, I'm not sure if this food is still good. I'm not eating that because mm-hmm. it'll give me a trigger. Yeah. It probably is yes. fine. But why should I subject myself to it? I don't want to. No. Yeah. You know, I think it's similar with getting off of medications. You Be kind to yourself about it. Take it slow. Yeah. Don't underestimate how much can be mind-body and get the feedback little by little that can convince you. To clarify, I've, I am sure that it, I know what you meant by food, but you mean as if it, it's expired or gone bad. Yeah. Yep. Not like, oh, there's gluten in this. I should never eat gluten. Oh, uh, thank you for clarifying. No, I mean gone yeah. bad. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, all that other stuff I tend to think is almost always mind body. But Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, what about pots? I've developed pots. I can barely move and my joints have become weak. I think the question here is, is it mind-body syndrome? Yes. Um, so I, when it comes to things that are supposedly medical conditions, which I, I, I you have to call that supposedly almost because there are certain terms that are called medical. And if we let it them be just called that without recognizing, actually, maybe they're much more just part of the mind-body field in the first place. Yeah. It's important to do that. But I have consulted with medical doctors, especially mind-body-informed ones. Um, There's some great ones in the field. Um, And I consult with them sometimes just to make sure, in case I'm not sure. So I've looked into virtually everything. And POTS is mind-body. I don't mean it insultingly um, in any way. I mean it to inspire hope because, and this is something that I say to people that sometimes can help them, mind-body symptoms are the most severe symptoms I've ever had. And so if you're having really severe symptoms and it's super messed up and you're having something that is, you know, presenting like POTS, your life's getting wrecked by this. Do not underestimate what mind-body symptoms can do. Yes, they can do that. I've seen it many times. I've even worked with people with POTS and they have gotten better from these things. Yeah. I I love that you say that because often... (laughs) You know how it is. You have to be careful how much you talk to people and how you, how, how you talk about it. But I have a friend, a very close friend, whose response around something related to back pain was like, no, I know that my back pain was real. Insert trigger. Oh, and then... Yes. <laughs> and Mine wasn't. Right. <laughs> um, and then um, uh, the next response was, because I know this because my pain made me to the point that I couldn't walk. And I was like, yeah, I used a wheelchair a couple times and it was all mind-body syndrome. Absolutely. Um, The intensity of pain does not reflect on it being structural versus not. Mm -hmm. If anything, sometimes it's the opposite. Yeah. I agree. We have, do we have any data for that? Because I I don't think we do, but I totally agree with you. (laughs) I'm I'm mostly speaking to my, it's anecdotal, but but, uh, Mm -hmm. not just with me, but with thousands of people I've interacted with. That, that reminds me, I had a client once say that, that 
the mind body pain was worse than childbirth. I, I've had I've had people say that to me too. I'm obviously very careful about saying that as a man. I have no idea, but right. But when women say it, it's extremely convincing because I'm like, well, you know, especially the people who are, are mothers. Yeah, I do not uh, have children, but when she said that, I was like, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The it was brain. actually kind of validating for me when I heard a woman say that. I was uh -huh. like, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You. Yeah, that's what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see. Um, I did have one more question. I wonder where I put it. I wrote it down because it came in this morning. I know that it had to do with someone saying um, they had a lot of um, symptoms. And one of the most extreme ones was insomnia, which is actually a big part of my story. They want to know if you have any tips for that. I do. Um, as always, I say I'll give you these tips, but then you know, bring your follow-up questions. People can contact me if they want to, or if they contact you and you want to get me in touch with, with them or them in touch with me, that's absolutely fine. Keep asking the questions, but here's my first answer to it. Insomnia is a hundred percent mind body. Yeah. I, I don't even want to say virtually all the time. I think it's just all the time. <laughs> um, and I have a couple of tips for it. Uh, and they go in different directions, by the way. I, um, in my mm. column system, I describe what I call action steps. These are things that you choose to do in a given moment that can help. Okay. And sometimes one thing's going to help and sometimes another thing's going to help. So sometimes with insomnia, you are, this is just one example, you're forgetting to enjoy that you're in bed with nothing to do. <laughs> and if you can get sync into that, you can actually fall asleep. Other times you have something on your mind and you could be given like a horse tranquilizer and you wouldn't fall asleep because yeah. you are really on something yeah. uh, in, in thinking and you need time with that. So get up and let yourself think. Yeah. Particularly if you know you're angry about something. I sometimes write emails to myself. Uh, I'm not in the send because I don't like conflict mm -hmm. and I don't need that. And it's not even about the external environment but I need closure with myself. Yeah. And if I'm going on and on and on about it, I let myself go there. Uh, here's another um, tip, and these all can apply at different times. Um, sometimes you are, without realizing it, restricting where your mind can go. You're yeah. having a thought and you think, oh, I shouldn't be thinking that. That's not going to calm me down. Go exactly where your mind goes. That's another tip. And here's another one. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's helpful. And by, by the way, all of these I found through myself. Yeah. I had to figure out different solutions at different okay. times. Um, it also can help me before I go to bed, especially if I'm like waking up with nightmares or like kind of panic wake ups. Mm -hmm. It helps me to take about 15 minutes before bed and think about what happened today. Yeah what was my emotional life like today? Mm -hmm. Because then I won't be doing the work later. Yeah. Those yeah. are four different solutions that go in totally opposite directions. Mm -hmm. um, I also meditate sometimes that can, that can sometimes help, but yeah. find the, find the action steps that work for you. But those are some examples. Yeah. What? I love all those. I'm going to steal a couple. <laughs> um, yeah, steal them all. Great. All three. 
One of them too, for me was, I used to thank my brain. Like when, when I couldn't sleep, I would just be thankful. I knew that it was working for me. I knew that like, there's yeah. something back here that it's struggling with and it's doing the work for me. And I would just thank it and kind of let it, just let it, let it do its thing. Um, and not try to stop it. So I think that's similar, similar or different take on, yeah. on one of your examples of letting it go where it wants to go. Okay. So good. Can you, in closing, can you tell us all about your programs, your, um, your website, your podcast, which is a subscribed one or and just talk about that. Yeah. Um, so my podcast is called crushing doubt. Uh, the, the video version is on YouTube. Uh, the audio is on Spotify. Okay. And, um, we're in transition from, from it being free to becoming subscription, um, based, but I, I really, I try to, I try to give some free resources as well. I, I do a weekly Q and a every Thursday at 6 PM Eastern, um, 3 PM Pacific. That uh, is so powerful for any of you who haven't listened to that. Do that's thank my, you. um, it's, and it's look that these are the Eric Sherman sessions. I just show up every mm -hmm. Thursday to be like, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Question. Bring your 200 questions. <laughs> yeah. So my website is www.crushingdoubt.org. If you happen to put in .com, it goes there also. So fine. Okay. Um, and uh, on that website, you can find all of my programs. And my primary programs at this point, aside from the podcast uh, and the Q&A, um, are the teaching seminars that I do Yeah. and the groups. And the teaching seminars are designed to tell you how to think about the column system and why it can help explain a lot of the contradictions that you may, or seeming contradictions you may hear in the mind-body community. What I find is we're not contradicting much, but there isn't a lot of integration that okay. can help people feel like they understand the whole picture. And that's what the seminars are designed to do. Help you see how the whole mind-body experience hangs together and the columns can describe it. Yeah. Once people have that basic information, then there are the group, uh, the group memberships where people can come. They can meet with me once, twice, or three times a week. And these are Zoom calls where people get on. Sometimes people don't want to come on video. That's fine. They can put things in the chat, and they ask me their questions about how do I, how do I apply what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I've listened to those, it's it's surprising how often somebody asks a question that you want to know the answer to, or you don't even realize that you wanted to know the answer to. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's so powerful. Sometimes people ask me with respect to the groups, they're like, will I have enough time to ask my questions? And of course, I want to give everybody time, but typically the people who do the best in the groups, and a lot, it's the vast majority of people, they learn so much when they're not the ones talking they're listening and they're like oh i see me in that yeah oh i get that now so they're learning the whole time whether it's them or somebody else yeah yeah and then and then um people can buy your different prog prog programs um like the columns work and whatnot off your website right they can i actually just completed an introductory course also which you know for people who don't really want to dive in the deep end I hear this all the time. People are like, I've spent so much money on different resources. I don't, I, I want to be able to check this out without committing mm -hmm. too much. The introductory course is a nice, nice way to do that. You find out about the, the column system. 
Um, and then you get to decide if you want to go further. So that's available too, uh, although actually it was supposed to be available yesterday and isn't yet. So it should be, by the time this comes out, it will be available for sure. Okay. Um, but you can get the seminars on there. And these are, they're pre-recorded seminars. I am going to be going back to doing live ones eventually, but right now I'm, I'm taking time to finish off the book. So you can get the seminars, mm -hmm. you can sign up for the mm -hmm. groups, you can get the introductory lectures. I also have written materials right now, these mind-body guides, if you prefer to take things in in a written way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So many ways to, to get help. Yeah. I also have trained people and, um, you know, people who are interested in training with me in this, that's something that I do because I need good referral sources. You know, we talked about, do you divide up treatment? Well, this is part of how I, I like mm -hmm. to have people who understand my column system, but could do therapy. Cause what I do isn't really therapy anymore. What I do is educational and, um, you know, informing about this process and system. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, Dan, I've loved this conversation. This is great. I yeah. talked to you forever. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do a part two. I would love to do that. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, on behalf of everybody else, also thank you. And um, I'm just going to say goodbye to all the watchers, and I will see you next week. Have a good one. Bye. You don't leave quite yet. Okay. That was great.